Well, all right, all right, all right. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome uh, back to Dallas Geek. Uh, this special edition back at Madness Games and Comics up in Plano mm -hmm. with the one and only Guy Gilchrist, the man, the myth, the legend. The myth. <laughs> <laughs> and the one and only because God has a sense of humor, but not even that big to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, for those of you who do not know who Guy is, shame on you. Uh, but if you are a millennial, I can guarantee he probably shaped most of your childhoods. Sorry. Uh, from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, th this man is responsible for a lot of it. I don't Guaranteed. Even, I don't even think it's a probably. No, no, no. No. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Guy... Uh, was handpicked back in 81 by Jim Henson to jump in and take over the Muppets daily comic strip and from then on kind of expanded with everything else illustrated uh, animated comic related within Jim Henson and on and on and on until now uh, honestly you may be one of the most prolific illustrators and comic artists uh, within this realm uh, today, and I, I know you, you're a very humble guy and do not think of yourself as that, but uh, uh, you are. So, <laughs> um, Guy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> yes, this is a... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mike may or may not... I really appreciate you not going into, you know, the entire list of all of the properties and stuff that I've worked <laughs> on, because whenever that happens, and, you know, you get this long, long list yeah. of, of everything, you know, it always feels like an obituary. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, found dead in his natural this morning. Well, in fairness, if we would, were to try to do that, we'd probably still be listing off properties an hour later. So it it, was fun, it's better yeah, just to give fun. the overview and, uh, you know, dive into it as we go. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, no, I, Mike may or may not be able to um, form words during this interview. Uh, he, he, he's having a massive nerd out moment right now. Um, I, I, I believe I believe what you had uh, explained earlier was that this is your Wayne's World Alice Cooper moment. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like you and me should be on the ground like the peasants we are screaming we're not worthy. Yeah. I, I really felt like I should do that to Alice Cooper when I met him. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing was the entire green room yeah. was all doing it already. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't room. Oh, there wasn't gosh. even room to fall on my knees, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Um, I also like that he just very casually threw in there that he met Alice Cooper. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and that Alice Cooper was reading a book that was about as big as War and Peace, exactly like in the movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's about right. Yeah. So, um... Before we dive too deep into this and get too far away... And uh, allow me to compose myself yeah. so I don't uh, throw up. The always necessary <laughs> shilling. Uh, so, if this is your first time joining us, uh, thank you. Uh, you definitely picked an awesome one to uh, jump in with. Um, if you have not already, please do not forget to like the video and follow over on Facebook. Like the video and subscribe over on YouTube because, you know, we must appease the Google overlords. 
And of course, if you want to be able to check out uh, this and more of our interviews but don't have time for the videos, you can always catch the audio over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher because reasons. Uh, <laughs> That's it, right? There's no more There's no more podcasting sites anymore, right? They haven't created like 20. Oh, no, no, no. There, there's plenty more, but, okay. you know, we, we decided to cut it off at five. That's fair. Uh, and, of course, if you want to be able to go check out uh, all of the things the guy has to offer, uh, the obvious first place to go check out is his website, uh, aguygilchristproduction.com. Uh, which has all of the great stuff that he's working on now, will be working on whenever, uh, always worth your time. And if you want to be able to check him out on social media, you can check him out over on Facebook uh, at A Guy Gilchrist Production, uh, over on Instagram at Guy F. Gilchrist, and Twitter at Guy Gilchrist. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah. Now. Thank you. All the plugs. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all the plugs. Uh, so, um... Guy, hmm. I know you've probably answered this a hundred times before, but for those I'll mess it up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the people who have never uh, heard the backstory, uh, how does someone like you get into uh, art like oh this? Well, you mean how did I get the Muppets, or how did I get to, uh, or how did I become a cartoonist? Cartoonist, and then we'll, we'll build to the the, okay. the, the hints and reveal. Okay. Well, uh, my mom, uh, my mom was a single mom, and uh, we were very poor, but we didn't know it, of course, you know, because you don't know what you don't have. And uh, but what we did have was uh, uh, she had a real love of art and a love of cartooning, and uh, she worked as a waitress uh, at a diner in a little tiny small town, uh, Winstead, Connecticut, and uh, she also worked uh, at the front. Uh, office of like a little hotel and so anyway she would take me to work with her you know and then to make sure that she didn't get fired you know for me running around you know going nuts uh, she would always you know that the newspaper with the funnies in it was always there delivered for free and uh, she would open that up give me papers and pencil and say here honey draw this meaning like all of it mm -hmm. you know here draw this and uh, and then sometimes to keep me occupied, uh, she would get me, there was a Walter Lance who was the creator of Woody Woodpecker. Uh, Walter uh, wound up being very uh, integral in my life, uh, but she would get me, she got me this coloring book of how to draw Woody Woodpecker and, and his friends and stuff called The Easy Way to Draw. And anyway, so I was learning, you know, to do ovals and circles and stuff and move them around and that was how to cartoon. Mm -hmm. And my mom was very good at it too. And for instance, we like we didn't have enough money maybe to go to see Peter Pan when it was at the theater because it was a dollar each. Mm -hmm. But she could go get the 19 cent golden book of Peter Pan. And then we could sit there with pencils and, and, and paper and draw the different scenes in the golden book and read it and stuff. And so she made the things that we couldn't do into opportunities for things that we could do. And uh, uh, so I had a neat childhood that way. And that's how cartooning sort of happened uh, for me. When I was 10 years old, it really kind of all came together in that um, uh, I wrote a letter to Walter Lance. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I saw him on TV on a talk show called uh, the Art Link Letter Show, and they had an address where you could write. And uh, so I sent him, you know, like 50 pounds of my artwork, you know, I'm 10 years old. 
I, I had spent months to make the best stuff that I could, and I sent it to him, and he wrote me back. And here I was a nothing, you know, just like a, a nobody. And um, the only thing I knew was that I enjoyed making something out of nothing. It didn't cost anything. It was mm. just time, you know, and I made you happy. That was neat, you know, a neat thing for me. And he wrote me back and he said, you have a lot of talent for a 10-year-old boy and you try very hard and, and if you never quit, someday you're going to be a successful cartoonist. Sincerely, Walter Lance. And I don't have died. I mean, I just, or I came alive. Yeah. And that was, that was really it. You know, that, that the, the most famous animator in the world thought that I was something. Wow. And uh, that meant the world to me and that was the, the genesis of all of it. So, I remember hearing uh, a story about uh, you submitting for Mad Magazine and yeah. getting a, a bit of a, a interesting rejection. Yeah, a nasty letter from Jerry DeFuccio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, another, like, really uh, seminal moment of uh, something <laughs> that, like, really, in retro, you know, it was perfect. It was the perfect thing. Yeah, I thought it was a big deal. I had a big head. And um, uh, because I was in high school and I was uh, drawing for the yearbook and the newspaper and all of that, and I was had already gotten a lot of jobs around town. So I thought I was hot stuff. And, you know, but here I was just sort of like doing really lame copies of uh, trying to copy Jack Davis's style or Mort Drucker's style, sure. Will Eisner and stuff like that. Um, and I sent my artwork to Matt, and they sent me a letter telling me that I stunk. And I'm reading this, and like tears are flowing. I cannot John John Wayne my way through this. It's just like it's tearing me up. Yeah. And um, that uh, and but toward the bottom it said, but we really like your life drawing. Uh, the and I had to be talked into sending life drawings and things that I had drawn like. Uh, you know of real people mm. uh, but my you know my friend said no these are pretty good you know and they've been printed they were printed in uh, in our little uh, youth magazine in high school so send it because it's printed and anyway they said but you have a lot of talent over there mm. do more of that you know you know cartooning is one step away from reality and right now you're too many steps away you need to work on this and it was incredible like their their love you know tough love yeah. but their love to say do this and we will we will hire you yeah. you know they they said you know do this and then come back and see us and i was you know, I was able years and years later to take uh, Nick Miglin, who was working there at the time, and the rest of the guys that had something to do with that letter, mm. out to dinner and thank them years later. Wow, that that is awesome. Because uh, I, I know that um, a lot of people, uh, when, when they're first uh, getting into art, they always have uh, the things that inspired them uh, to get into it in the first yeah. place uh, that they try to copy and you know uh, they, they imitate it and uh, it's your vocabulary yeah, it, it's you know, easy and to your, lose your, yourself in that well but your style anytime in your life okay is a combination of two things mm. it's what you know mm. and what you don't know yeah and so your your so your artwork will and style 
will will c continually evolve, we hope, and not plateau. As you learn more and more, there'll be less things you don't know and more things you do. We are all a product of the artwork that we love, that we grow up on. For me, it's Disney, it's Dr. Seuss, it was Walt Kelly, mm -hmm. um, uh, Will Eisner, all the guys from Mad. I mean, you know, forget about it. And then, and then as I got older, Michael K. Frith, who was Jim's uh, head guy and my day-to-day -day boss. Yeah. You know, that that was who I am. So when when people bring me their art at events like this mm -hmm. and at cons and that sort of thing, you know, I'm used to seeing, uh, you know, knockoffs of all kinds of different things, anime, you know, anime and, you know, and, and whatever and my own stuff and all of that, yeah. uh, Kirby and, and things. Um, and I'll always ask, can I see your sketchbook? Yeah. Let me see your sketchbook. Um, uh, I'll want to see how they think mm. and I'll try to explain the same thing that Mad Magazine told me. Got it. That cartooning is one step away from reality. You're too many steps away now. We need you to come into the real world okay. and draw your brother, draw your sister, draw this, draw that, you know, and then bring that to, you know, to what you're doing you yeah. know, in the media. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, obviously uh, you, your introduction to uh, art and cartooning was a very uh, informal education. Uh, very. <laughs> uh, as you went on, was there ever a moment where uh, you, you thought about trying to get a, a formal education in any aspect of art, or uh, did you just find yourself learning so much the way you were that that's the only way you could ever see yourself doing it? Um, no, actually, uh, when I started doing a lot of licensing art and painting, I had no painting background at all. Mm. Uh, nothing. And I was already painting. Um, but I was like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be arrested by the art police for not knowing <laughs> what I'm doing. And uh, so I signed up for, uh, I wanted to get uh, some sort of a painting class, like a second or third year painting class, because I kind of already had a, a something going. Sure. Um, but I wanted to, you know, to know uh, the ins and outs of everything. And I went to, uh, I went to Pear uh, Art School, to Pear uh, uh, College in, uh, uh, in New Haven. Mm and tried to sign up for like a second or third year painting class. But since I had never taken any art classes at all, they wouldn't allow me. So I went into Painting 101, and within two weeks, I did, I guess, what was their semester's work. <laughs> then I got offered a job to teach the class. So I left and said, well, I guess I'm okay. Wow. So that was it. You just have become the master. Oh, well, no, I wasn't a master. I wasn't a master, but I, but I knew enough to graduate yeah. painting 101 yeah. and maybe teach it. You know, okay. so I kind of went. Well, well, I understood. It wasn't that, uh, and I hope that wasn't didn't sound egoy. No, because no. what it because what it was was I guess what I had learned about myself mm. in that um, was that. 
I was so used to deadlines mm -hmm. and to teaching myself, going and finding my own resource book, my own yep. doing my own research in in making mistakes and moving my work forward, mm -hmm. that I now worked at a different way, yeah. in my own way. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that was going to be the way that I was going to continue throughout. Yeah. You know, for better or for worse, I had my style and now it was up to me to continue to, you know, to, to look at the people that I idolized and and to try to learn from the people that they learned from. Yeah. That's how I always did it anyway. Yeah. yeah. So basically you overcame imposter syndrome. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I still haven't. No. I'm still, I'm still a total fraud. Uh, you know, I'm still a total fraud. It's like it's like no, I mean it's like it's like, you know, any of us that draw any of us that draw funny animals, yeah. okay? It's like you know we're 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 totally under arrest, and we should give we you know we, we should give the estate of Walt Kelly you know ten percent of every single thing that we yeah, yeah. you know yeah. or Carl Barks you know we're all, we're all guilty yeah. guilty oh, yeah. guilty guilty yeah, yeah. no and, and honestly uh, the the one thing that does uh, come up so often uh, when uh, you do art is. Um, you know, it, it's always hard for uh, the artist uh, to try to find their own individual point where they say, uh, I, I feel comfortable with my own style yes. enough to take bits and pieces of other styles, other things, and bring it in, rather than uh, feel like they have to be perpetually in that uh, student mindset and can never leave and never feel ready to present their work because they always feel like, well, I mean, it just there has to be one more thing that I can learn because I just I don't feel like it's there yet. Yeah, well, it's every day. And yeah. You're going to learn every day. That's a totally different thing. Education is a totally different thing than selling and marketing your work. Yeah. If you continually wonder when you're going to be ready, the answer is never. You're yeah. never ready. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you're never ready. You're always gonna suck. Yeah. Okay. You 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 always suck. You're you're never good. Um, uh, and and I hope that's how you feel mm -hmm. because if you feel like you're actually good and stuff, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's always somebody that's better, and that means you stopped learning. Yep. And we've got a big problem there. But here's the thing. Um, here's the thing where you lose yourself in your work and you begin to find your voice is when you have deadlines and you're trying to get to them and you're trying to get this done mm -hmm. and you don't have time yeah you don't have time to nitpick so you're sending in and you're trying to get the work done and you can go ah, afterwards you know and yep. i do that like now it's an antique shop because <laughs> my stuff's been around for so long yeah but but um you know i mean i look at i mean I can't even look at what I did in the 70s and that's like, oh, no. but then you have to kind of go, but it was a moment in time mm -hmm. and I was doing the best that I could and it was honest mm -hmm. and there you go. And next, yeah. you know, it's sort of like I, I was doing, I was talking to a, a musician the other day and we were talking about like, imagine that you're Tommy James. Okay, Tommy James and the Shondells, okay, um, from like 1964, and now you're Tommy James and he's 75 years old, and the first song that anybody wants to hear you play, and I mean, you're this virtuoso songwriter and everything, and everyone wants to hear Crimson Clover and all that, but, 
the first, but you have to come out and go, my baby does the hanky-panky. Okay, because three chords, okay, three chords with a guitar solo that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, but, and that, you're, that you wrote when you were 12. But you know what? Everybody wants to hear it. So, yep. you know, so when people bring me a book that I did in 1975 or something, and they say how much it meant to them, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. But that's how I feel. <laughs> as, a, as an educator, the comment of the like, you never stop learning if you think you've peaked and like you haven't done enough. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of go through it a little bit, makes you feel really good. Oh, I'm yeah. I like, that all the time. I feel like, yeah, but I'm good at that. Like, like, you do it because I'm going to problems and you're going to, like, like, more complicated things later. Like, stop here. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, um, because, like, oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I, it's like, it, and you have to walk a fine line, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you have to walk a fine line with kids mm-hmm. that are, and when I say kids, it's like, because I'm 64, it's, it's like, you know, anyone not on Social Security, um, I, I, it's kids that bring me, you know, anime and stuff like that, and the, and the, and the character is just standing there, doing nothing, you know, maybe standing straight out, you know, like at every single, you know, point. And then you're trying to talk them into, you know, movement, you know, like how are we going to do this? Because you're, you're always having sort of a case where you're, you want um, but give them some kind of, you know, critique. Right. You know, um, but then the, the folks that don't accept the criticism. Ripped right. all the time. Yeah, there's, like, there's always critics, there's always people that are going to... Well, yeah. Well, as, a, as a person that sees a bunch of work and tries to be as inspiring as I can, I I also try to walk that fine line between the the hobbyist that is getting their emotions and getting their voice out, you know, and that's where they want to be, or versus the person that is seeing this as their art form and their voice and their living right. for their life. Huge differences. Right. Right. Huge, huge differences. You know. Um, uh, so. Uh, uh, you, you know, or the, you know, the teenager, the 20-year-old, the 30-year-old, whatever, what is your end game here? Do you want, are you, are you trying to be a pro and, and, and do a comic? Are you trying to be a comic or a graphic novel person? Or is this a way for you to lift your voice out there and for you to do things for your friends? Okay. You know, that's yeah. helpful. So one of the things that that you brought up was, you know, it, it's very much being self-taught, right? It's, it's well, no one's self-taught. It. No one's self-taught. I just didn't go to school, but I went. Well, so to, that's, that's, I went yeah, to work. Sorry. Help, you know, help. Right. My supervisors and the people yeah. that I work with taught me. But so, in terms of like a formal like art education, nothing. No. So I guess my my question would be is. Do you think that you would have gotten to where you are now, I mean, looking back, mm-hmm. if you had gone a more traditional route of taking the art classes of, of, you know, going to art school, doing all of that, or do you think the real world experience and, like you said, having to meet a deadline really makes you turn off that self-critique switch and just, there it is, boom, mm-hmm. you're done, go. 
Like, what, what do you think influenced you? Or what do you think? Do you think that growing in that environment was better just oh. for you personally? Or do you think maybe not? I, I don't, I, I didn't have any choice. Okay. You know, I didn't have any choice. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting put in the army, you know, back in the day. Mm -hmm. You don't have a choice. You right. in the army. Um, uh, you know, I didn't have, there were no options for me. Mm -hmm. So I made the best of what I could, and okay. I got my education uh, as I could. Right. Uh, had I gone to art school, I don't know what it would have been like. Right. You know, but you know that every single thing that happens in your life, including, you know, going to work for Jim and all of that, happens because you're where you are at that time doing whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, I, I, have, I have no idea. I would have loved to have been able to have the opportunity to have, okay. uh, you know, a traditional, uh, you know, study. Right. Because, because in my mind, uh, in my mind, I mean, I kind of wanted to, uh, to know how to paint like Norman Rockwell. Uh, you know, but I wasn't going to be able to do that on my own. I needed to, you know, but, um, but it did teach me, um, because I knew I wasn't going to college and have the money, uh, it, it did teach me to find opportunities wherever I could and, and to, you know, become, become a student. But I don't think I would have been, you know, very good there or something over it. Uh, okay. I'd gotten it. Yeah, gotcha. So instead of the phrase self-taught, maybe self-reliant? Uh, yeah. Trying to push yourself forward and self-driven. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have plenty of teachers. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that you never say no. Like uh, that. That when you know when the opportunity would come up, like, uh, can you do this at a freelance job? Yeah. You'd say yes. And then sort of apologize to God. <laughs> <laughs> and then say, but I promise it won't be a lie really quick. <laughs> and then go figure out how to do it because you want the like, job. Right. You yeah. want the job. You know, and can you get it done by whatever? Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. And you knew that wasn't going to be a lie because, mm -hmm. you know, it was going to get done. It was going to get done. Yeah. What it looked like, who knew, but <laughs> yeah, it was going to get like, done. Like, the, like, yes, I'll do it. And then the internal panic of, like, yeah. oh gosh. And, and how the, do I do this? I'm yeah. going to make it work. Like, yeah. But the <laughs> reason I thought that. of that right away was <laughs> that one of the things that happened to me when I was, I don't know, about 11 or 12, 12 years old was, uh, I, anyway, I got into middle school, and our middle school happened to connect with this really fancy schmancy high school mm -hmm. in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut, Hall High. And underneath Hall High, there was an entire graphics department that did all of the graphics, the, the AV work and everything for the entire Board of Ed in West Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, wow. So Very they cool. had like an ad agency huh. on, in the belly of the beast, right? Wow. And so I went in there like, holy cow. <laughs> like they had like photostat cameras and, and type machines with the type on the wheels. And they were like making, there were photographers and they had, uh, cameras and all kinds of cool stuff at every art supply in the world and I'm like I have to, I need to be in here I need to be in here and so I asked if I could work there for free and so those guys that I met doing that at 12 13 years old a few years later when I would be at the insurance companies in Hartford and different places trying to get work and at the comic book uh, at the comic book companies, comic companies and stuff like that, uh, trying to get work. When someone would ask me a term that I didn't know, I would, you know, register it, write it down, mm -hmm. and then 
go and say, well, how do I do this? Yeah. Because I knew I, you know, they, they were looking at the art, so I knew I could do the art, but what was the process? I needed the process. Yeah. And um, so having people like that, you know, was, was, was really big, because of course this was back in the day, you know, now you can go on YouTube. Mm -hmm and look right mm -hmm. you know and there's all these tutorials it's awesome yeah but back in the day you know you could you mean google hasn't always been around no <laughs> you know you know what's really funny is like is our, I was, is our generation I was explaining, spoiled i feel like our generation spoiled there's a thing a little bit yeah like we used to have a thing called a morgue like we used to have a thing called a morgue and the morgue so you know what a morgue so everybody knows what a morgue looks like because you know you watch like you know mm -hmm. you know uh, criminal minds so get right so, you know, that like there's these files, right, yeah. that go on forever and you pull them out of the wall. Well, when you were a cartoonist and illustrator back in the day, yeah. you had what's called a morgue. And the morgue was, like, you never wanted, like, to read a newspaper or a magazine after an illustrator or a cartoonist looked at it because they would tear out every picture <laughs> of a car, a building, a pretty girl, anything, and they'd, like, have resource material, yep. and you would call it a morgue. When somebody famous, like a famous illustrator or cartoonist, would die, their morgue would go up for auction. Oh. Like, I mean, you know, and, and like I used to have a morgue that probably, you know, like would, I had to always be, my studio had to be on the ground floor because it would collapse the floor if I was on the second floor. I mean, that's how much stuff I, you know, I would have. Um, so, yeah, and now you have, you know, Google Images. Yeah, like, it's like, it's like, it's like insane. I'm like, like, okay, I'd like to see the Flatiron Building <laughs> at 5.05 p.m., you know, from the northwest corner. Here yeah. you go. Yeah. Neato. Now all I got to do is draw Batman. <laughs> Solid. Uh. So speaking of opportunities uh, to be able to get introduced to different uh, things, people, properties, uh, let's talk Jim Henson. Yeah. So how exactly did that one happen? Because I'm guessing you, you didn't just happen upon Jim Henson on the street and walk up to him and say, hey, you're Jim Henson. Mm. I do art. Mm. Let's do something. Mm. So... <laughs> Yeah, unless, exactly. that's, unless that's exactly how it yeah, happened. Yeah, exactly how it happened. In the little children's book, in the little peekaboo children's book of Guy's life. Um, I read a book called Backstage at the Comics. Mm -hmm. I was trying to, uh, I was, I saw this book and I was absolutely blown. There was a book that Mort Walker, the creator of Beetle Bailey, High and Lois, Boner's Ark, and many, many other things, uh, Mort Walker had written about what it was like to be a cartoonist and um, and stories mm -hmm. about that. And I bought the book um, at the bookstore, which no longer exists, but, so I bought it at a bookstore. And I read the thing in one day. It, it was like, this was oxygen. Well, I, I learned a lot of things. I learned that Mark Walker lived in Connecticut on the rich side of Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, and that he had begun a museum of cartoon art, that he had taken a whole bunch of money, bought a building, hmm. And uh, first one in the United States because he was disappointed that around the world comics, uh, an American art form, were celebrated as art, but here in the United States not they were not. Yeah. Right. You know, and plus you had, but you, and you had all these pop artists and stuff yeah. that were ripping off. The, yeah. You know, and they were you know selling for you know for thousands thousands of dollars uh, in Soho and whatnot, but still, you know, you're wrapping your fish in the newspaper. 
So Mort said, that's wrong. And he started, the, so when I found out that existed, I drove the, the two hours from my side of Connecticut, which is a really small state, over to the, the New York line. Mm. And I started going to the museum and, and I found out that they had uh, speakers that would come in once a month and speak. So I would go to hear the speaker. You know, I wanted in right. to this world. When I found out this was my in, I wanted in. And I found out about the National Cartoonist Society and all of that. So um, sometimes the famous cartoonist wasn't there because, you know, for travel reasons or they were sick or something. Yeah, sure. And so there were a lot of cartoonists that lived in the area. And, and most of the time someone would, would come in and pinch hit and do the little talk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they did it. Well, I was there so much that I wound up doing the talk quite a few times, even though no one knew me, and I was just doing a funny animal comic for Weekly Reader at the sure. time. Okay. But I like to blab, as you know, mm. from <laughs> and you know, and I drew fast. So uh, I would get up and teach drawing and stuff like I'm going to do here later. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we do look a little bit, and uh, Mort saw it one day, mm. and I was so thrilled to meet Mort. And he said, you're pretty good. He said, there's only one thing. No one knows what the heck you do and who the hell you are. So who are you? And I wanted the Muppet Show to be in front of people every day. And he was gonna, going to retire the daily show right. and concentrate on movies and other television shows. Yeah. And, but it had been two years. They, hadn't, they had tried out like 200 different people. Jim didn't like anybody. And they were about to lose the development deal. And Mort said, um, that's a pig and a frog, right? Well, there's this hippie kid. <laughs> he remembered you. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously memorable. Yeah. And um, and so Bill Yates called me, and I tried out, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm sure he knew that, but he thought it was pretty good, and I got it done real fast, and uh, and I was a huge fan of Jim's, and uh, so. Uh, he asked for more. Uh, I went home. I didn't sleep. Um, I drew up a whole bunch uh, just on typing paper. And um, the thing was, it was hard finding reference for the Muppets. There was only one Muppet book that had these watercolor paintings in it. That was the only thing that there was. There was no cartoons of the Muppets. Period. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there was no. There were no photographs. There was not. And there wasn't tape. There was none of that. But so it was all like out of my head. But I was doing the best I could, and I did whatever I could, and I knew the characters, sort of, their, their, their personalities and stuff. Sure. And I was writing what I thought was, was going to be it. Well, he kept asking for more. And anyway, then I eventually met Michael Frith and the other people over at Henson. Uh, they were in New York at 117 East 69th Street, and I was blown away. But they were very noncommittal, but they liked what they saw, but noncommittal. Anyway, I just kept on sending stuff. And I never stopped because I figured, okay, well, until they say they found somebody, mm -hmm. I still have a shot. Right. Mm -hmm. Or until they tell you, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Until they say, enough is enough, you suck. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, um, well, none of that ever happened, and I just kind of kept sending it in to a vacuum. But every once in a while, Bill was so sweet, and he would call and say, you know, guy, I don't know what to tell you, but I haven't, yeah, I keep sending it over. Mm -hmm. And uh, then out of the blue one day, Jerry Jewell, the head writer of the Muppets, called me 
in my garage studio in Unionville, Connecticut, and just started talking about um, story ideas. And I went, excuse me, but Mr. Jewel, like, why are you calling? This is like, this is, no, oh no. I, I was like, this is a great honor, but I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I didn't know. And he said, he said, well, you've had the job for about a month, no one calls you? Oh no. <laughs> and so I had to sit there pretending that my dreams come true every day and uh, but be an adult and talk gags with Jerry Jewell, the head writer. And I did for like an hour and then exploded, you know, like yeah, and that yeah. was that. And then uh, and then about a month later, you know, I was you know, I was I was doing it, I was working with Michael every day and uh, and a month or two later, I met Jim. So that was that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then. I auditioned for a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I met Jim. And it was as mind-blowing as you would think. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. So when you sit down with Jim for the first time, yeah. how does that conversation go? Is that, is that hey, here's where we want... I mean, did no, he, no, did he no. give you... Yes. So yes. he basically said... Well, well, this is how it went. Okay. So this is how it went. So I had about three or four months worth of, of stuff done, mm -hmm. and um, uh, and you know, and Jim was seeing everything, and um, and Jerry was seeing everything, Frank was seeing everything, but Jim was busy with uh, Muppet Caper, mm -hmm. and also Crystal over in London, mm -hmm. and uh, so. But they were seeing stuff, and but Michael was making most of the changes and stuff like that. And uh, but anyway, because we had a deadline and we were coming out in September, and so I think it was like May that Jim came over on the Concord, and I went in from my went in from Connecticut, and I stayed for like a week in the Waldorf with you know, and I was seeing Michael and stuff, and staying in the Waldorf was like. Holy cow! I felt like I should be arrested at any moment for not being yeah. not being supposed to be there. You know? Right. Oh yeah. But anyway, um, that morning, Saturday, I couldn't sleep, and so I just went over to the office hmm. at 117 and sat in the conference room on the on on the second floor uh, across from Michael's office, and just sat there and drawing because I mean, what else was I going to do? And my brother Brad was with me, and uh, anyway, about 9 o'clock or something, 9, 9.30, because I was back there at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and just the guy that watched the place was there. And anyway, Jim just poked his head in. You know, you kind of heard a little noise, and the little door opened up, and it was Jim. Yep. We used to call it, before they were called backpacks, they were called knapsacks. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. And... Uh, so he had a knapsack on his back. I was like, oh, you must be guy. Um, you're early. <laughs> We're gonna see each other later, right? Oh, good. And off he bopped up the stairs. And I looked at Fran and I'm going, there's nothing to say. <laughs> and um, so then later on, I uh, went up, and uh, first Brad and I went up, and he talked a little bit about stories and stuff like that, and told us the stories we, 
were good mm -hmm. and that the gags were good and he was happy with the way it was. And then Brad left and it was uh, me and Jim sitting there and he said, you know, some of the drawings are great and some of the drawings are very good, but we don't want very good and we don't want great. We want wonderful. I'm like, yes, sir. We want wonderful. And then Jim held up his hand and introduced me to Kermit. There was no Kermit on there. He just held up his hand and introduced me to Kermit. And when he did, he then he sat down and he drew a quick little picture of his hand and he Kermit over his hand and he just doing Kermit. And I realized what he was saying. What he was telling me was that, see, I was drawing the characters like it was both funny, mm. okay? Okay, like, okay, I was drawing, there's, you know, there's bugs here, I mean, Down okay, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, so I was drawing the characters like they were cartoon characters. Yeah. Because that was my job. No. They're three-dimensional characters with life in them, okay? There's life in there. And we have to find a way to bring the life, the live person, the color, the voice, everything, through the artwork into it. And it changed the way that I thought immediately. Wow. Um, Jim was like that. He was a man of few words. Um, and he was so insightful that it would take you a long time to really grasp the magnitude of what he had just said. Mm -hmm. But he surrounded himself with people that would listen for that yeah. and figure it out. Or that he knew could figure it out, or he hoped could figure it out. Right. So that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Well, just to take a quick break from our regularly scheduled programming to uh, just once again thank Madness Games and Comics for uh, allowing us to be here and to remind every one of you uh, out there that if you come uh, visit the store, do not forget to wear your mask. It is always important. <laughs> Social distance. Be safe. Be smart. And, of mm -hmm. course, be kind. So... Well, I was, I was going to say it a little bit. Yeah. Stuff. I almost said I would have said that a little bit different. Well. Yeah. That's why I said it for you. Because I you don't. Um, you got that sensor button right there. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so back to uh, Jim and uh, Kermit. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I know that uh, you have said before that there was a, a process of trying to adjust the art style of the characters from uh, one, uh, trying to make a cartoon version of the puppet to trying to make the character as the animated form and make it feel more correct and not just, you know, like a really colorful 2D puppet. Mm -hmm. um, so. How did that, uh, was this conversation that you had with uh, Jim part of the thing that helped uh, bring that around, or was there something else that kind of uh, brought around the, the final version of the characters that ended up getting so uh, popular? Well, if you look back at the five and a half years that I did the strip, you'll see a huge evolution in the way that I draw. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this off. Um, 
because part of my facial expression is part of the thing. So the thing is, is that so if you have a puppet, so the puppet, um, because of the movement and the color and the voice and the music and everything, okay, um, there's all this animation that's happening. So if you draw a black and white version of that puppet, it looks stiff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, when you if you draw Fozzie Bear, for instance, okay, with yeah. his eyes really the sizes that his eyes are, which is about half the size. Mm -hmm. Okay, they'll look like tiny little pins in the newspaper because the newspaper comic strip is this big. Mm -hmm. So everything had to be exaggerated facially. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, like Fozzie's mouth only really opens like this, right? But I'd have to go like that, you know, Got and Miss Piggy, again, you know, would only, her mouth would only be able to open, but I'd have to do, you know, all kinds of things like that. Also, I would have to, <clears throat> I would have to on Kermit the Frog, you see like Kermit the Frog's eyes mm -hmm. are like, you know, this size, right. right? Okay, but I would have to make them almost this big. Yeah. You know, uh, I had to make everything bigger. You notice like on this picture here, okay, you notice this picture here of of animal. Okay, that's not baby animal, that's animal. No. Okay? Yeah. That's animal. But it kind of looks like baby animal, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I had to... I had to get into animating them and sort of I called it Chuck Jones in it, mm. um, and you know, and then I'd have Michael sort of pulling me back, saying, "Guy, you've Chuck Jones a little too much." <laughs> and so, um, but and there was this give and take, mm. you know, uh, there was this give and take. Thankfully, Michael was such a brilliant illustrator. He knew the limitations that I was dealing with, mm. and as we started to watch the proof sheets coming in, mm. even before press happened, we were seeing what our what we needed to start to change. Okay. Um, so there was quite the evolution in the very first six to eight months of the strip being out there for the public. Got it. Interesting. So the, the the scale of the final print uh, ended up dictating mm -hmm. what became the quintessential version of the characters for the, the illustrated. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Also the fact that we didn't have color except on Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, and of course, speaking of comic strips, uh, one of your longest running uh, comic efforts uh, was Nancy, of course. And that, I mean, you know, it, it had been, what, the early 30s, uh, mm -hmm. and then you were brought in, was it mid, late 80s? Oh, 95. 95, okay. Uh, so... I was a <laughs> how, how did something like that compare to uh, the... Uh, uh, Henson specific uh, animations uh, and illustrations. Was that uh, a whole different thing? Did it kind of feel the same, just different characters you got to play with? Uh, different. Okay. Um, the only thing that was the same was that we had the same relentless deadline. Okay. Uh, you know, you have 365 okay. finished drawings that you need to do per year. Um, it was way different in every way in that, um, well, I was older and I had had a lot more experience with a lot more icons and, you know, doing a lot of other different characters. 
Uh, the art style was completely different in that yeah, I was looking at Ernie Bushmiller's work as being the jumping off point for what I was going to be doing. Um, but the other thing, that the major thing, was that when I was doing the Muppets, Jim was looking at it, Frank Oz was looking at it, Michael Frith was looking at it, um, Jerry Jewell, of course. So many, many hands were, you know, were, were looking at things before anybody ever actually saw it. Yeah. With, with Nancy, even though I did have editors, it was basically, Guy, you're your own deal. Okay. And they, you know, I, I, I was in a different place in my life, you know, tw it was 20 years later, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, they said, you know, we, you know, we want you to do whatever your version is of this. We would just like you to take it to sort of uh, an Ernie Bushmiller place, okay. uh, art-wise, and, uh, and then, you know, off I went. Yeah. So it was a little bit different. And that is kind of... Uh... It, it, that feels like it's kind of the, the balancing act that has to be done whenever you're uh, dealing with somebody else's IP is trying to figure out how much of yourself you can put into it versus how much of the original uh, needs to remain untouched and you're just recreating with, with you know whatever uh, flair uh, you want to add. Um, so I mean obviously my feeling yeah. is always what I'm trying to do is, I try to take myself out of the equation. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very old school in that I think of, okay, like with Jim, mm -hmm. I was always trying to please Jim. Mm -hmm. Okay, on Ernie's stuff, I was kind of like, okay, Ernie will be happy that the strip is still in the paper. I want to do justice to Ernie mm -hmm. and Ernie's legacy. And I want to do honor to the the public. Yeah. Who 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 are my audience? Okay. What does my audience want? And then I'll find my happiness in the middle there someplace. I don't think what am I as me going to put into it because that's going to happen, whatever that happens to be. But. I'm always thinking when it's somebody else's character. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to do justice to that, okay. um, and to to not let them down, um, and also not to let the audience down. And so my involvement and my and, and the the property may evolve mm -hmm. over time as I see what the audience is wanting. Mm -hmm. So when you are uh, dealing with something like uh, you know a, a existing IP, um, do you find it easier to work with ones that are relatively new and don't have an established um, personality uh, for the public, or uh, the ones that already have that built-in fan base, that already have their expectations? Is, is, that, uh, is that easier for you because you already know what uh, they're expecting, so you know the direction you are going to be heading mm. in uh, as you hit it? Like Muppets versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm. uh, let's say. Um, yeah, because the turtles hadn't been out in the public yet. Well, I was sort of um, in on the the development of that because there there wasn't any there wasn't a footprint yet, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and so that's always a totally different vibe, you know, because you become sort of part of the footprint. It was the same thing with the babies, you know, mm -hmm. with mother babies. 
Um, but when you have something like Bugs Bunny that had already been around for 40 years and then I'm involved in it, then, you know, then you're really going like, gee, you know, I have to look at what Robert McKimson did, I have to look at what Chuck Jones did, and I have to find a place. Yeah. No, I'm it, spacing out on what those are, but I know that they exist. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, I mean, considering the number of different properties you've worked on, I, I can only imagine, uh, you know, how many different uh, times you've had to sit down and uh, figure out a, a new approach to this versus this because you know this you know the hundredth uh, different IP that you've uh, worked on so now you've, uh, you got to find the the new fresh take to uh, you know to give it life or whatever mm -hmm. I mean the, the fact that you can uh, somebody like us can look back at your work and see a very specific voice in each and every one of those characters and not feel uh, a sense of repetition between you know Tom and Jerry uh, and the stuff you did with them versus uh, the stuff you did with Pink Panther versus Muppets, uh, you know that that takes a certain level of care and understanding of the characters well, that just is really cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it's a big deal for me when yeah. somebody says, "Will you work on the Panther?" I mean, that's a big deal, you right. know, and it has nothing to do with the other characters that you're working on, and you yeah. have to find. You know, I mean, first of all, it's like it's a great honor mm -hmm. that they're asking you. And then you're trying to figure out what it is that you can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. and, and, but, and, and also, when I'm taking on these properties, I'm taking them on for a specific reason, for a specific, you know, now it may expand later on, but there's a particular project that's in the hopper right then mm -hmm. that they want me for. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Um, sorry, I'm gonna cut you off because you're, you're you're talking too much. I was gonna cut both of you off and say this as long as the mic is not spoken about something. I, I'm just kind of in awe right oh, now. I'm just kind of <laughs> soaking it all up. Um, but one of the things you brought up was the the turtles mm. is being at the forefront mm. and being there for the creation yeah. and everything like that. So what uh, I guess well they were created. But, oh, sorry. Yeah. But well they were created. You know. But I was brought in sort of like you know like when it was in its infancy, like the early going into the licensing right, right, for the for the show and so all. So yeah. did you find that to be a particularly? I mean, because obviously it's it's a different. You know, it's a different process starting from the very beginning. Oh yeah. Before. So I guess what did you? I mean, did you did you find any? I'm trying to think how to word this. Sorry. Um, I guess, did you find any difficulties coming in that early in the process from what you had been doing before? Like, Well, the difficulty uh, was that, that we had to have everything done in like five minutes. Um, that was a huge difficulty. Okay, that would be difficult. And, um, and, uh, uh, and we had a lot going on at the same time mm -hmm. already. Yeah. But I had a great team around me. You know, I always... Um, I always feel a little weird, you know, saying I did this and I did that because it's always we. Right. Yeah. Yes, it's me with the brush on the paper sure. at that time, but there's people that are helping. Yeah. Um, and and with the turtles, we had a we had a great team. Uh, um, I had two wonderful uh, cartoonists, Frank McLaughlin, who had been. Uh, 
uh, had been uh, Dick Giordano's assistant on Batman and Detective and stuff forever. Mm. And he also had a run on Captain America and Falcon, and he created Judo Master and Frank, but Frank was a great guy. Yeah. And also Gil Fox, who had started all the way back uh, had, he was uh, one of Will Eisner's assistants, mm -hmm. uh, had worked on the Spirit Dailies, yeah. and, uh, and also worked for like, uh, for like Fawcett uh, Comics, and um, uh, you know, all the way back in the 40s and stuff like that. And anyways, those two guys came on board with the Turtles, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and really assisted a, a great, great deal. Uh, uh, you know, to, to have guys that were used to production layouts and stuff. So once I sat down and said, okay, we're blocking the book out this way, mm. I could hand it off to them and they would start messing around with it. My basic job was, oh, people don't even know. Okay, <laughs> all right, so you, you don't even know what I did. All right, all right, all right. Okay. rewinding, rewinding, rewinding. Be kind and rewind. Okay, so, um, so in, uh, so Random House, mm -hmm. so Random House had given me uh, some scripts that they had synop they had uh, summaries of, and uh, these were going to be like the first six to eight. Uh, stories that when the TV show eventually came out a year later. Mm -hmm. So I had to take them and sort of turn them into children's books, mm -hmm. say, okay, you know, hack this out, hack this out, find the guts of it, say, okay, this is how much we can do in 32 pages, and then oh we, would, we would put the 32 pages together and then say, what do these characters look like? Okay, what's this Baxter guy? Mm -hmm. What's this? What's this? Can you send me some scrap? you know, FedEx or something on these guys. Um, I didn't even know what color the turtles were. There was no color anything. Yeah. I remember painting painting the Donatello. We painted the Donatello cover. I forget what the name of that's called. Um, and would you be talking about this one? That's it. <laughs> Did you pull that from your own? Yes. I, yeah. I grew up on this, man. Yeah. I, I grew up on this. And so, this yeah, I, I, I lost track. So of yeah, so we're so so we're so so we had we, we were we were penciling it. So we're penciling and inking. So you know, so we're penciling and inking and stuff. And we're trying to get these stuff. The the by the time I got this job, we we only had like two to three weeks to do each of these books. Oh wow! And they're all full color inside. And so we're doing the black and whites while we're waiting for color reference, mm -hmm. and but they need the covers mm -hmm. for the catalog okay. to sell the book, right? Like the book needed any selling. I was selling like a million copies of every, every minute. <laughs> but um, but they're hoping. But the TV show wasn't out yet. But the TV show was it was about to be a big big hit. There was a lot of money behind the toys and all that. So um, I. So I'm drawing this stuff out, and anyway, so they're saying spray the covers, get the covers done. So we airbrush all the covers, and I'm saying, so, okay. So the one that's got the short sword, what color is he? Okay, da 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 da. So I'm getting, okay, this one is blue, this one is orange, da da da. So, okay. So I get them all done, so we mail them in. And I get a phone call going, oh wait, he's a different color green. <laughs> He's sort of like more of an avocado thing, so can you fix that? And I'm going, well, you see, there's like 20 coats of acrylic paint yeah. on this. No. 
I can't. It it won't even take. There's like there's no paper left. I yeah. can't I, I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And they're going, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> and I'm going like, okay. So me and Tom stay up all night. We spray the cover, which is that cover, because mm -hmm. the other one was just like the regular green that yeah, the other yeah. was for. And anyway, so anyway, we did it. Had to get on a train, take it into New York for them to scan it and do it. And you know, we did it overnight and made it look exactly like the other ones, and and uh, got no sleep. Anyway, uh, anyway, I did find out though Heritage Auctions a few years ago. Kevin Eastman was the one that told me this. Yeah, he said. Hey, so you remember when you did Donnie the wrong color? I'm like, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> he said, yeah, that just sold for 35 G's. I'm like, oh, wow. did they give you a cut? Did they give me a cut? I, like, well, I ain't got a cut. <laughs> Somebody found that, you know, like it sold yeah. on Heritage. It's so funny. Golly. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> well yeah, because I, I, I know um We had no clue. Like yeah. and and we had like honestly we had like four or five or six, I forget how many it is, books mm. to do and we literally had like two months to do them. Oh yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, it's like I like I just the first thing when I see these things, I'll say it to you right now. Sorry. <laughs> but the cover I did the cover looked nice, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. good. See that's I tried real hard. So yeah, and th that's that's the thing because uh, the original uh, you know comic run for uh, Turtles was all black and white with uh, a right. little bit of red thrown in, right? And that was it. Yeah. And uh, I I I remember uh, hearing the uh, the full uh, tale of uh, how much effort uh, went into trying to get them cartoon appropriate since the original comic was very I much was not cartoon yeah, appropriate. Yeah, we were we were in it. And we were we were literally we kept sort of we would draw the whole scene. Yeah. And then one of the things that one things that I would wind up doing is I would go in and start to soften and cartoon and make hmm. the eyes bigger and stuff in the inking without even having the time to redraw them. Oh wow. I would just go in with the ink and sort of redraw with the ink. That's being huh. um, Because we were just like going nuts, you know, trying to get the stuff done on wow. time. You know, the thing that the thing is is that when you're you know, when you're working on something like this, um, that you 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 have to um, you, you have to weigh everything. You want everything to be perfect. Yeah. But also, it doesn't matter if it's perfect and it's a week late. Yeah. Like, you know, there are, you know, it's it's going to be a chain reaction that everything is, is going to fall apart if you don't get the stuff done. So you literally do the absolute very best you can. There are no excuses. Mm -hmm. um, I had a wonderful art teacher when I was in um, eighth, eighth grade, eighth and ninth grade. And he knew that I wasn't going to be able to go to college and stuff. And he would tell me that whatever the thing was that had the toughest deadline to make sure that that was the best one, that it didn't look like you were on deadline with that. Yeah. And because, you know, and he, would, he told this to a kid, you know, 13 years old or something. Yeah. And, you know, and I couldn't comprehend, but I've always gone back to that. I mean, here I am, 64 years old. I keep going back to that. The thing on deadline, mm -hmm. let's make sure that doesn't look like it was on deadline. Yeah. You know, let's start with the hard thing. Yeah. Let's do the thing that's hard. Yeah. Let's go do that. 
Oh, you yeah. know, because the easy stuff will be easy. Right. And that'll have its own problems. <laughs> I have two random questions for you about the turtles. Some more lighthearted questions, just because I'm curious. Do you have a favorite turtle? Um, I guess Mikey because he he's the goofball, um, and so he's kind of easy, and he brings you know, yeah. like if there's any tension or anything, you know, he's doing somersaults or some kind of weird thing. Um, but no, not Fair. really. Um, you know, not not really. Uh, you know, the one of the great things mm -hmm. about them back in the day, uh, a big selling point to me was you know because because they were all going to be the same toy exactly, uh -huh. you know, the same mold, yep. that that once you once you knew how to draw one, you were drawing all three. Because there were so many characters in this cast mm -hmm. of characters, you know, Shredder yeah. and, uh, you know, Splinter and on and on, you know, and you had all these, uh, all these guys that they were going to be fighting and everything, you know, it was really a cast of thousands and you're going like, oh, can you draw that today? <laughs> you know, I mean, literally, I mean, I call up and go like, okay, so what does this guy look like when he has a bug head? Yeah. Like, you know, what? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going, yeah, I know, but you need it tomorrow. So what does he look like? So they're going, I don't know, just draw him with a bug head. I'm going, okay, Vincent Price, here we go. <laughs> and, then... and a lot of it was just, yeah, and a lot of it is like, uh, and, I, and sometimes, you know, many times during these processes it's three o'clock in the morning yep. and you're all by yourself and you're just going like yeah well whatever here we go <laughs> i'm committed to this decision real quick <laughs> you, you gotta be you just gotta do it and then the other question i think you make sure i'm understanding you correctly you y'all decided like the colors for like donatello leonardo oh i didn't decide not you. Okay. no 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 to, like, they were no they they had to call and... they had to call mirage uh-huh and get the and get the colors and it was basically like this simple okay guy you know the one that has the little sticks on the on the chains okay orange okay 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 short sword short sword red long sword blue okay big stick purple go okay go and then they're going okay you know the purple guy with the big stick yeah different green that's awesome I was just curious. Uh, I, I was always curious how. Yeah. No, there was not even like you know we we were even looking at um, to uh, we were sort of creating personalities mm -hmm. and stuff like um, and just trying to read into the words that we were editing and mm -hmm. putting together yeah. where we could have some fun because we didn't want it to be you know we wanted the pictures to be fun. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, I, I know we are uh, pushing time because this has been such a fantastic thing, uh, but I do want to uh, just ask because it, it pops up on pretty much every website that uh, goes over your uh, uh, history and, and reputation. Um, so you are award-winning uh, and, and illustrator and, and cartoonist, uh, especially you know with, with the whole uh, Smithsonian thing. Uh, by age 27, was it? Uh, get, getting your work brought in with them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you. I guess. This, <laughs> You're like, yeah, sure, totally. <laughs> yeah, you, you've uh, you've gone in. You've uh, been involved with so many different property uh, properties, Henson and otherwise. You have uh, been a, a 
worldwide syndicated uh, cartoonist uh, for uh, dailies. You're a country music artist, and yeah. apparently, according to your Wikipedia, um, occasional motivational speaker uh, at your uh, convention uh, appearances, <laughs> or at least that's the way they uh, they've chosen to describe it. Okay, you. good. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, country writer uh, yes, as I well. Yes, I do that. Uh -huh. So. With all of those different things, I, I know that so many artists have, uh, you know, they they never just have the one passion. They, there's all these different avenues they want to explore. It just happens to be the one thing is their main thing, and then they branch out there. When it comes to your music, uh, how did that happen when, you know, this was what you've been doing up until that point? Well, I really like telling stories, and I like, you know, making stuff up. Um, yeah and making something out of nothing and had there been a guitar uh, available at the same time that paper was uh, with a pencil I mean I would have tried to figure that out I mean I didn't find a guitar though until like I was 10 or 11 um, but um, I really thought it was cool that um, that that Dion you know, Dion and the Belmonts, I thought that, like, Dion, I thought it was really, really cool that he could pick up a guitar and out of nothing sing Ruby Baby and, like, change the world. Like, 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 make everybody happy. Yeah. Like, and everybody was dancing and everything like that. I loved, like, rock and roll. I was a rock and roll baby, you know, mm -hmm. my mom loved Elvis and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, rock and roll and rockabilly, Hank Williams and, uh, and so I was in love with that stuff, and I saw no difference mm. between someone being able to draw something, and there was music in the cartoon, you know, an anime yeah. cartoon, and, and I, I saw no difference. It, yeah. it was like, it was all part of the same thing. There was color and action and, and music and stuff, so I wanted to learn how to do that, and, uh, uh, and I did. Uh, had success come to me, you know, I pursued, um, I pursued drawing more, um, because, uh, it was more accessible, and so that happened first. Mm. Had music happened first, I would have been over there. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, you know, and then, and, and all through high school, uh, I was working professionally in art, mm -hmm. Uh, and writing the stuff in art, um, but uh, you know, but we were getting a record deal, and I was getting like a little uh, songwriter, you know, publishing deal, and mm -hmm. this and that. Uh, of course, you know, Hartford, Connecticut was not a big hub of uh, the, the music industry. Yeah. But we were doing the best that we could, getting demos out and stuff like that. But it was lagging behind money-wise. <coughs> that was all, you know. But um, but it's always had a place for me. And now living in Nashville, I've been living in Nashville now for over a decade, mm -hmm. and been able to write a lot, and um, you know, and cut demos. And these these days, of course, you know, you cut a demo in the old days, you cut a demo on acetate or whatever, or you had a tape, and nobody ever heard it. But these days, you can put it out on Spotify. You know, it doesn't have to get on the radio for people to hear it. Yeah. So that's great. The, you know, the bummer is no one pays for it, no matter what. There's no yep. record to be sold. Yep. Um, uh, but I really do enjoy it, and I've had a nice career in it. Very much so. Very nice. Well, 
like I said, I know that uh, we're pushing time, so uh, thank you so much. And by the way, you can find all that stuff on Spotify and, oh, yeah. and uh, Amazon and all of that stuff. I mean, yeah, if you really, you know, uh, if, if you'd like to hear what I do, it's there. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, guys, seriously, uh, I actually had a chance to uh, look up your music uh, yesterday. Really fun. Uh, even if you're not uh, that big of a country music fan, worth the time. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes. Seriously, guys, thank you so very, thank you. very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, as always, um, if you want to be able to go check out more about Guy, do not forget to go check out his website at aguygilchristproduction.com. Uh, that's where all of the great stuff uh, that he's do uh, has done, is doing, is going to be doing, will be. And then, of course, if you want to be able to follow him on social media, uh, you can find him on Facebook at a guy Gilchrist Production. You can find him at Instagram uh, with Guy F Gilchrist, and on Twitter at Guy Gilchrist. So uh, definitely go check him out. Uh, and, and seriously, um, if you didn't know his name but you know his work, you know him now. Uh, so you have no excuse uh, not to go uh, check out more of his stuff. Uh, um, so, thank you uh, so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you much. all. And uh, as always, uh, the end chilling. Uh, if you did not already, please do not forget to like the video and follow over on Facebook. Like the video and subscribe on YouTube to appease the Google overlords. And uh, if you want to check out more audio uh, like this, you can go uh, catch our audio on. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. So, um, this has been amazing. Yes. Thank you, guys. Until Thank next you time. Much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Brad. That's Mike. That's Guy. Ha. Huh. <laughs> and see you.